and you may be seated this morning. Praise the Lord. Isn't this a beautiful day we have? Oh, man. I mean, this would be like a good day to play football. I don't see any colors, any representation today. You know, the Patriot fans every year. The bottom line of all that was I was given a dig to the Patriots for not being there, but, you know, praise the Lord. (laughs) I don't care. I don't. Hey, we're studying our way through the Word of God. We're in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, chapter 18. I'm what? I don't sound right? I'm underwater? We got to work out? How's that? Test one, two. One, two, one, two. I'll just keep going and we'll see what happens. All right. It's not like I got the best voice in the world. If you ever heard me sing, you'll say amen to that. Starting our way through the awesome Word of God, Old Testament book of 2 Kings chapter 18. Go ahead and find that. And also, go ahead and locate for me, please, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. We're going to be looking at, at some of that today also in our study. Uh, quick, while you're finding those and opening your Bibles, I failed to put the time of the fourth Friday fellowship. That begins at 7 o'clock on the fourth Friday. And just to be clear, they're both on the same night. They cover the same portion of Scripture, just, of course, taught by two different individuals. But you have two locations to choose from, either the Van Sickles up in Barado or the Grouts. They're right off of Yuma and Lower Buckeye. So we've got them at different locations for you. Perryville. Perryville and Lower Buckeye. Hold on just a second. Just a moment. Sorry about that. How's that? I got the green light. Is that better? So far, so good? (laughs) So what I'm getting out of this is if today's lesson just stinks, I can blame the batteries. All right? Actually, it's going to be an awesome lesson. In our study last week, we we saw the death of a nation. We saw how because of sin and corruption, idolatry and wickedness, we saw the nation of Israel dissolve. They fell into, um, well, they dissolved. They're no longer a people. Well, today we're going to see how to bring about and it's not only revival for uh, a nation, but also for individuals. We good? Okay. I, I hope we get this working, because if I have to hold a microphone, I can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to study this new king and how to bring about revival, revival in our lives. And we're meeting a new king here, King Hezekiah. He was a good king. In fact, other than King Solomon and King David, he's the third most written about King of the Old Testament. He brings about this great reform, this great revival in Judah. He's written about uh, not only in 2 Kings here, but also in 2 Chronicles. That's why we're going to look at some of that here in a little bit. But also he was a friend of Isaiah. He's written about in Isaiah 38 and 39. We're going to be looking at all of those aspects here. And now you recall in our study, I've been telling you that 1 and 2 Kings really mirrors 1 and 2 Chronicles. 
First and Second Kings give us a, a historical view of, of the kings and, and everything that's going on. Did we lose it? You can't, can you hear me? All right, we'll just kind of see what happens here. If I have to go to a mic, I can. But the Chronicles gives us a, a spiritual viewpoint from God's uh, aspect. That's why we're going to be spending most of our time in Second Chronicles today, but we're going to start out in Second Kings. So as we do, I'm going to give you a word. I want you to keep this word in mind through this study. It's the word consistency, consistency. We might use the word uh, steadfastness, immovable. We're going to see that King Hezekiah was consistent, whether the times were good, whether they were bad, whether he's on the hilltop, whether he's in the valley, he was consistent in his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a key to revival. That is a key to being blessed and prosperous is to keeping your walk with God consistent. So if you're with me, have you guys got 2 Chronicles 30 marked? Okay, well, we're going to start in 2 Kings. Let's start reading. We're going to read the first eight verses and talk about them. Verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elam, the king of Israel. That's who we studied last week. It was that king that brought about the, the demise of the nation of Israel. Well, in his third year, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. So we're kind of overlapping here. Verse 2. Now he was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Adai, the daughter of Zechariah. A little side note here, but it's very important. Remember, Hezekiah's dad was a bad king. He was an idolater. He was not a nice guy, but his mother was a godly woman. Moms, your influence is tremendous. Now, that doesn't leave you off the hook, dads. Dads, your influence is tremendous, right? And uh, I don't think I need to say any more about that, but just notice that because of this godly mother, she was the daughter of a prophet, that, uh, a, a daughter of a priest, that he ra he's brought up in the fear of God. Notice verse 3. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Now, unlike all the other kings, even the good kings of Judah, he does something different. In verse 4, he removed the high places and he broke down the sacred pillars and he cut down the wooden images. All the other kings of Judah, even the good kings, the godly kings, they left those there. They gave opportunity for people to to worship these idols and at these pagan altars. Hezekiah gets rid of them. God's word, when he brought them out of Israel and into the promised land, God told him, you got to get rid of those places. Don't allow yourself an opportunity to be tempted into doing something wrong. That's a great lesson for all of us, right? If we're struggling with something, hey, remove all the opportunities to fall into that trap again. You know why mice get caught in a trap? Because they go for the cheese. I went to college and learned that, right? Eliminate opportunities for temptation in your life if you can, right? He got rid of all those things, and here we learned something that he did that the Chronicles doesn't record, but this is fascinating. And he broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses has made. For up until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. Now, Way back, 835 years before this situation, it's recorded in Numbers chapter 21, the children of Israel were in the wilderness. God had brought them out of Egypt. We know the plagues and 
the Red Sea parting and all that great story. You've probably seen the movie. Um, they're out in the wilderness, and like most good Christians, they begin complaining. I mean, unlike good Christians, <laughs> they begin murmuring and complaining. They weren't happy with what God was doing, how fast God was moving, what God was allowing them to eat, right? You guys probably can't relate to that. <laughs> Lying in church, some people. Anyway, they're complaining, so God sends these fiery serpents, these snakes that come, and they start biting the people. And when they bit the people, they, they, I'm not sure how, but they died. But they had enough time to think, <gasps> I've been bit. Because they realize God's mad. And God sent these fiery serpents. Now, what are serpents always a picture of in Scripture? Sin and Satan, right? And so they cry out to Moses. Moses cries out to God. And God tells Moses something interesting. He says, Moses, get you some bronze. Bronze in the, in the Bible is the, is the medal of, of judgment. Chains, fetters, we're all made of bronze. It says, you make this bronze serpent, picture of sin and Satan, and put it on this pole and take it to the middle of the camp and stand this pole up. And if anyone is bitten by the snake, all they have to do is look at it. Now, God didn't get rid of the snakes, but he provided a solution. And he put it in the middle of the camp. What else was in the middle of the camp? The tabernacle. Right? And so the people had the opportunity. They couldn't heal themselves if they were bit by the sin snake. It was a death sentence. You didn't just get sick and went on. You died. What's the wages of sin? Death. Man couldn't heal himself. We can't. We can't provide our own salvation. But God says, all they got to do is look at it. They don't have to do anything special except say, I need, I need to look at this. This thing that God provided. It's a bronze, the <coughs> judgment, serpent, sin. It was a picture of God's judgment on sin. Now, it gets even better than that because put on the overhead, please, John 3, 14 and 15. This is so amazing. This was a beautiful picture of what God did for us. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up on that cross, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That bronze snake, that picture of God's judgment on sin, was a picture of God's judgment on sin found in his Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't our God so cool? And the really cool part is, I got to just look at it. Say, this is what God has provided, so I don't have to die. That is so cool. We could stop church right now because that's a great message, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to. I, I got about two hours worth of good stuff here. Back to our, our verse here. Notice in verse 5. Here's the first key if you're taking notes. He trusted, this is Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who, nor who were before him. You know what that's saying? That's saying even above David. You know, David had his ups and downs. What was our word I told you? Consistency? Hezekiah was consistent in his dedication and service to God. And here we start learning some great lessons. You need revival in your life. You need to know how to prosper. 
look at this, verse 6. Number one, our word is consistency. Verse 6, for he held fast. If you're reading the King James, it says he clave to the Lord, and he did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The first thing he did was he got a hold of God, and he never let go. Would you put on the overhead, please, for me, Andrew? 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, here's for us, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hezekiah was on the mountaintops. He's holding on to God. He was in the valley. We're going to see he's got his problem. Not, everything's not all rosy for him. He's holding on to God. We need to be consistent in our walk with God. He wouldn't turn from the commandments of the Lord. You know what that means for you and I? That means when things aren't going quite right, and we know what the Bible says, but we just don't think it makes sense. You ever think God made a mistake? Let's be honest. In my situation, what God's word says doesn't make any sense. It might for the religious people. Let's be honest. Sometimes we question it, right? He stayed consistent even when it didn't make sense to him. And friends, we need to bank our lives on the word of God. The word of God says that we should tithe. Guess what we should do? Right? The word of God tells us to do this and that. What should we do in that situation? What the word of God. He stayed consistent in the commandments of God. He was he was consistent. Notice this. I wrote this down. If you would please write this down. I think it's worthy. Our faith, our service, our commitment is not based upon our circumstances. Right? Our faith, our service, and our commitment is not based upon our circumstance. He kept God's commandment. He didn't stop obeying the Lord. And notice the result of that. Verse 7. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. Notice this, as a result of being faithful to God, in, in not only prospering and being blessed, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. We've been seeing the last two weeks the king of Assyria coming up. They defeated Israel. Who was he a picture of, we said? Well, that was a picture of, of sin and Satan, right? In the world. Because we're obedient to God because we're consistent in the word because we live according to the word and not according to our feelings we can have victory in our life against the enemy and not only that it says in verse 8 he subdued the Philistines in our study who are the Philistines a, a picture of the flesh right how many of you made the New Year's resolution to lose weight how's that going <laughs> You're going to be eating about four hot dogs today, I know, or, or pizza, right? The flesh is very strong. But when we're with God, when we're obeying the word of God, when we're staying consistent with God, we can have victory over the flesh. Heaven struggles with lust? Stick with God. Heaven struggles with anger, doubt, unforgiveness? Your answer is not found in yourself. It's found in God. Amen? And it says here, he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territories 
from the watchtower to the fortified cities. Now, between verse 8 and verse 9 of this chapter, the events of 2 Chronicles uh, 28 through 31 take place. So I'm going to have you turn to our place there in 2 Chronicles. Told you to find 2 Chronicles 30, but we're actually going to read one verse out of 28 and move forward from there. I'm not going to go through all the chapters. We're just going to highlight a few things here. <coughs> Everyone there? 2 Chronicles 28. Let's read. Oh, you know what? I, that's going to be the second one we read. 2 Chronicles 31, 21 first. I'm sorry. I just love hearing the pages flip. Second Chronicles 31:21 is the last verse of that chapter, but chapter 32 records the events that we stopped off in Second Kings. Are you following me? So look at the last verse here. It says, "And in every work that he begun in the service of the house of God." in the law and in the commandments, to seek his God, he did it, notice, first of all, here's a key, with all his heart, and look what happens. And so he prospered. Friends, we want to be blessed, we want to prosper, we want to have victory in our life. We're about to learn the keys. We saw a few of them here in 2 Kings 18, and that was to hold fast to God, be consistent, to obey the word of God, right? To, to not let go of God, whether it's a happy time or a sad time, right? Well, now we're going to see some more key, keys. Okay, 2 Chronicles 28. You guys following with me okay? All right. 28, verse 24 and 25. We're just going to read those two verses and then move forward. It says, so Ahaz, that was Hezekiah's father. Remember, he was a bad guy. He, he, uh, we saw last week that he took the altar of God and moved it and brought in his own altar. Remember that? Important study. We saw that he, he, he uh, uh, remodeled the church. He took away everything they needed to make the offerings, and he brought in all the pagan stuff. Remember, he stripped the gold off. Remember all that? If you weren't here, order the tape, or CD. I'm, we're, we're above tapes now. We're, we're CD. I'm sorry about it. But verse 24 says this. So Ahaz gathered the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God. He shut the doors. Remember, he first brought in pagan worship, then he locked the doors. He closed the church. And he made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So just like a Starbucks is on every corner, he had... That hit a nerve with some people. He had pagan altars all around Jerusalem. And look at verse 25. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Jerusalem, the kingdom, was in bad, bad shape when Hezekiah becomes king. Chapter 29, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 29, just a couple verses away from what we just read. It says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. He reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. 
We just read that in our text in 2 Kings, right? Look at the next verse. This is the first thing he does when he becomes king. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, here's the first thing he did. He opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. His dad had shut the doors, ruined the temple, brought it all to a close. The first thing he does is not build himself a house, not consolidate his, his power, not go on a vacation. The first thing he does, friends, this is very important for you and I, the first thing he does is he gets right with God and he opens the temple and he fixes what was broken. Now that is a deep, deep truth. If you're taking notes, here's how I highlighted that one. I put, he got on God's agenda. He got on God's agenda. I have two verses of scripture uh, to put on the overhead. Psalm 33:12 and Proverbs 14:34. Very familiar portions of scriptures, but I think sometimes scriptures can become so familiar to us that we lose the power. Psalm 33:12 says, "Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, not whose money is the Lord, not whose military is the Lord, whose God is the Lord, and God is Jehovah God." Our Lord Jesus from the Bible, not a fake God, whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. In Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalts a nation, not wickedness. Righteousness exalts a nation, not an army, not a government. Righteousness. But sin is a reproach to any people. Princes or paupers, rich or poor, sin is a reproach to any people. First thing he does, he inherits this, this nation in ruins, morality out the door. First thing he does is he opens up the church. The next thing he does, point two, is found in verse 29, chapter 29, verse 11. I'm sorry, verse 11. Drop down. He, in, he gathers the ministers back together and he encourages them to walk in their calling and purpose. Look at verse 11. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you should minister to him and to burn incense. His father closed down the temple. He brought in pagan priests. And so all the Levites, they were out of a job. They dispersed. Now they're doing other things. Hezekiah brings them back and encourages them to do what God has called them to do. Jump back with me, please, to verse 4. We're going to kind of go backwards here, but this is important for us. Verse 4. Then he brought in the priest and the Levites. He gathered them in the east square, and he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. They had to be be sanctified in order to represent uh, the people before God and God before the people. Remember, his dad had, had done away with all the washing utensils, with everything. So now he says, you've got to sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord, God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Can I talk just down to earth and real boldly with you guys today? A lot of us, a lot of us have got rubbish slash garbage in our holy place, right? What was this garbage doing there? 
the people had so lost their respect and reverence for God that now they're bringing their trash to church. And what was this doing? It was keeping them from the presence of God. Friends, I'm saying this out of love and out of, out of deep concern, and I'm preaching to myself as well as to you. Sometimes we got more rubbish in our hearts, in our holy place, and it's keeping us from worshiping God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? We need to clear the rubbish out and re-sanctify our, ourselves and get right with God. Why? Because our nation, our homes, our families, ourselves are perishing. And I believe God is calling me and all of us back to holiness because it's righteousness that exalts a nation, righteousness that exalts a person, righteousness that saves families. Amen? You guys with me? Willing to amen that? So he's, he gets these guys together, and he says, make sure your heart's right, make sure you're sanctified, and now let's clean out the rubbish. Let's clean out the garbage. Because they had brought garbage, rubbish, into the holy place. What, what was in the holy place? The holy place of, of the temple. We had the holy place in the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. And it's stopping them from worshiping. We're replacing God with garbage. Our world today has replaced God with garbage. Oh, we don't call it garbage. But that's what it is in the grand scheme of things. So he tells them, let's clean this place up. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. They've turned their face away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and they've turned their backs on him. They've also shut up the doors of the vestibule. They put out the lamps. They have not burned incense. They haven't offered burnt offerings in this holy place to God of Israel. Therefore, because they have done all that, the wrath of the Lord has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he's given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to the jeering that you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, because of what we just read, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are taken in captivity. It's devastating to not being in a right relationship with God. He says, now it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, to, to renew our relationship with the Lord, that his fierce anger may turn away from us. And that gets us to verse 11 what, that we just read. So he's encouraging them to do that. They respond in verses 12 through 14. It names the, the leaders of all that. Let's, let's pick up our reading in verse 15. And so they gathered their brethren, the priests who have been gone. They sanctified themselves and they went according to the commandments of the king at the word of the Lord to clean the house of the Lord. Oh, again, we need to clean the house of God. And I'm not just talking uh, spick and span and vacuuming, although that's a blessing. And, and you know, the two things that will get you front row in heaven is serving in the nursery <laughs> and cleaning the church. I just, I, you know, that's my revelation. I mean, <laughs> Verse 16, then the priests went into the uh, inner parts of the house of the Lord to clean it. They brought out all the debris that was found in the temple. I, this just saddens me, this story. Like I say, today we might not have physical trash in churches, but there's a lot of spiritual garbage. There's a lot of rubbish in a lot of churches. They begin to clean it out, the courts of the house, 
the Levites took it out. They carried it to the brook Kidron. That was the dump. That's where they would burn the trash and stuff. Verse 17. Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule. It took them eight days just to get from the gate to the front door. Right? Now I got to tell you what, from personal experience, I've got a little bit of hoarder in me. But, but not junk. Good treasures. And when we moved this year, 30 plus, how, how long, 31 years? How long were we in? 30 years, right? I had a lot of treasures. <laughs> Guys, you're going to be so envious of me. I had like eight hammers. Because they were on sale. <laughs> I had power tools to build anything. I don't build nothing. <laughs> right? Yeah. I didn't get rid of my trains. I got rid of my tools, but not my trains. But, I mean, I had more stuff that I didn't even know I had. You ever do that? How many boxes of nails does one man need who doesn't build anything? I had like 12. <laughs> but I had every size nails you need. Right? I mean, I had more treasures. But I, I'm going to be honest with you, it, it's kind of funny. It was, it was like freeing to declutter. We downsized. And I, I had like a spiritual experience. It, it was freeing. Now, we didn't just throw it all in the trash, good stuff. We gave away. It's a, you know what I'm, I'm saying? But, but sometimes we just need a good decluttering especially in the spiritual things. You know what one of the worst spiritual cluttering things that keeps us from experiencing God is? Resentment. Unforgiveness. Grudge holding. As Frozen told us, let it go. You know, in my quest to be the world's greatest grandfather, I had no idea that included hearing baby shark 900 times in a row. <laughs> I'm suffering for Jesus, though. <laughs> but hey, most let, okay, let, let, let's talk honest. Some of our worst rubbish that we need to clearing out is attitudes, right? Mindsets. Now, there may, there may be some physical stuff. There may be people here who, who are wrestling with an addiction or something that is very real, not making light of anything. But it's time to address it. It's time to let God help us clear out the rubble. Does that make sense? Right? Let's keep going. They start doing all that. We finish reading that. It takes them two or three weeks to get this place cleared up. And the first thing he does when, when they get the house <coughs> cleared and the, the garbage out and the holy place back where it's supposed to be is he restores worship, verse 20 through, through 30. He brings worship back. Look at verse 28. Well, if you read all that, it says that he, he sanctified it and they bring worship back. Look at verse 28. So all the assembled worshipers worshiped the singer sang the trumpeter sounded 
All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. One beautiful thing about worship, friends, and you probably experienced that, is that worshiping God breaks down barriers. They had people from every class of Judah. We read in there that he invited the people uh, that was still in Israel to, to come join him too. But when we worship God, you know, God doesn't care what color our skin is, what color our hair is. He obviously doesn't care how much hair we have. But worship, Jesus brings people together. Remember in the garden, two relationships were broken. Well, in the garden, one relationship, but in the book of Genesis, two relationships were broken that Jesus healed. The first one was man's relationship with God of sin. And ever since Adam, I mean, ever since Cain killed Abel, Abel, men have been killing each other and fighting. And God healed that. In church, in Jesus, we're all brethren. Worship, worship brings, brings us together, breaks down barriers. It's awesome. Awesome. Next thing we see here is in verse 31. It tells us, Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourself to the Lord, come near and bring offerings and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices, thank offerings, and as many as were, would you please underline this, of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. Friends, our worship and our sacrifice to God needs to come out of a, a, a sincere and a willing heart. Don't let a minister try to twist your arm, uh, put a guilt trip on you to do anything. You serve God because you love God because you want to serve God. You, you, you give to God because you love God and want to give to God. Amen. It's a willing heart. A willing heart is the key to worship and service. Guilt is not. Besides, you can't earn your way into heaven anyway. You can't buy your way into heaven. Right? So, and then let's drop down to verse 36. It says, Then Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. The third thing we see about true worship is that joy is returned to the people. They all rejoiced. Now, just like when Nehemiah built the wall in an incredible speed, they repaired the temple, they cleaned the temple, they restored all the instruments and everything in an incredible amount of time. And so they were all happy. They were, they were blessed to be able to do this. That brings us into chapter 30. You guys still with me? We see that Hezekiah then keeps the Passover. It says in verse 1, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, he even, even to those people who were, you know, the nation had been split for, for hundreds of years. He says, hey, the house is open again. God is moving again. This is for everybody. One thing about church, friends, is it's for everybody. You know, it's so unbelievable to me that, that between ministers and churches, there's such an us-against-them attitude. I try to get together with different pastors. There's only two pastors in the six churches in our areas that's, that's willing to pray with me. Right? You know what I tell people? There's enough sinners for everybody. <laughs> right? We need to get together here. We need to be in agreement. Let's, let's, let's do some work for God here. So he invites everybody that they should come for the Passover. They haven't celebrated the Passover in over 200 years as a nation. 200 years. And the three, t three feasts, God said, 
they must come to Jerusalem to do the Passover, which uh, from when God brought them out of, out of Egypt and they killed the Passover lamb, put the blood over the doorpost and the, the death angel, remember, would pass over that house because the blood was applied. Picture of Jesus Christ symbolizing communion. We took communion today. What a great, beautiful picture that was. The second thing is they had to come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. That was a picture of foretelling of the Holy Spirit coming upon the church to stay. We saw that happen in Acts 2. The third thing they had to do was tabernacles. That speaks of the future kingdom of Jesus who should, and that we should reign with him. Zechariah 14 tells us all about that. It's beautiful. Well, he restored all of that stuff. And let's, let's drop down to verse 6. It says, Then the runners went all throughout Israel and Judah and letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the commandment. Here's the invitation to telling all the people, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped the hands of the kings of Assyria. So he's giving this Im invitation to come to God. That's a picture of what we are to do. And our message is this, come to God. As you come to God, he'll come to you. Isn't that awesome? We're taught, draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto us. It's fantastic. Well, the people of his day is a lot like the people of our day. I need to hurry up. Look at their response. He says, don't be like your fathers and your brothers who trespassed against the Lord, the God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation, as you see. Now, don't be stiff-necked. That was a term to describe an ox who refused to, to take direction. Don't, don't be stiff-necked. Don't be like an ox, as your fathers were. But yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord, your God, that the fear, fierceness of his wrath may turn away. Drop down to verse 10. They send the people out with this awesome invitation, but look at the response. So the runners passed from the city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but notice the response. It's a common response today still. But they laughed at them and mocked them. Friends, you can give an invitation to Jesus. You can explain salvation. Don't be surprised if you're laughed at, mocked, jeered. The gospel's foolishness to those who are perishing. But don't stop because look at what happened. Verse 11. Nevertheless, some will respond. Why do we keep giving the gospel even if we're rejected, rejected, and rejected? Because nevertheless, there were some. From Asher, Manasseh, Zebulun, they humbled themselves and they came to Jerusalem. Also, the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the commands of the king and the leaders at the word of God. I'm going to take a little side note there, but and we're almost done. I promise we are. I'm not calling the worship team up yet, <laughs> but we're almost done. This is a side note, and I believe it's important. We see something here. Notice that when they humbled themselves and came to God, God gave them a singleness of heart. Friends, if you're struggling in a relationship, and it could be with a spouse, with a child, with a coworker, whatever, it works best if both come to God in agreement. 
but the great healer, the great bringer together of, 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 of a chasm is, is Jesus. Um, because our relationship with Jesus dictates every other relationship on God. They came in singleness of, of mind to obey the commandments. Christians come to me that are struggling. If their singleness of mind to fix this problem and they're dedicated to it, God will do it. We keep reading here. They, they, they do the feast. They keep it going. Drop down to verse 20. I'm sorry, verse 19. He tells the people, whoever prepares his heart to seek God, the God of his, the God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the pure purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed his people. What happened here is the people, because they hadn't, been worshiping God in almost 200 years. They haven't had the sacrifices. They haven't been doing all this stuff. The people weren't ceremonially uh, prepared to, to approach God. And so what Hezekiah did was he gathered the people and he told God, God, we haven't gone through the ceremony, but our hearts want to approach you. Would you look at our hearts? And God says, come on. Here's the point I want to make. Friends, a lot of people are depending upon rituals, upon religious activities, when God just wants your heart. There'll be religious leaders who say, well, if you do this, this, and this, we'll talk to you. Write this down if you're taking notes. Holiness doesn't bring revival. Revival brings holiness. You don't have to get yourself right to come to God. You just come to God and let him work everything out. Make sense? Okay, we're going to close up. Now, worship team, you can, you can come forward. For the overhead, please, Andrew, would you put Mark 12, 32 through 34? This is a conversation went on with Jesus. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no one other but him. And to love him with all of your heart, with all of the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, are you, not, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. What the person here said to Jesus is, is it's a matter of the heart, not a matter of actions, even if the actions are religious, right? And Jesus says, you're on the right path, dude. Almost there. All right. <coughs> There's my sign. Verse 22, we're going to be closing with this. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites. Look what the Levites did. They not only went through the sacrifices who taught the good knowledge of the Lord and they ate throughout the feast seven days making peace offerings and making confessions to the Lord God of their fathers then please drop down to verse 27 we read it already but I'm going to read it one time in closing then the priests the Levites arose they blessed the people and their voice was heard 
their prayers came up to his holy dwelling place in heaven. How do you bring revival? You come to God with a sincere heart, realizing that you can't trust in religion, can't trust in ritual. We trust in God. How do you make your walk better? We clear the rubbish. We clear the garbage. Let me ask you guys something before I invite you to stand and we pray. Did you guys learn anything today? Can be a help? Now, I've done my job. That's to give you the word. Now, I invite you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you apply the truth of the words to your life. Amen? Let's stand. You're visiting with us. If this might be your first time at Lighthouse, we're studying our way through the Word of God. We're going through the whole Bible, and uh, today just gives you a little glimpse of how we do that. What we do now, and we have run late. We're, we're, we're usually not this late, but first Sunday we kind of always do because of communion. But I don't make a, an apology for that. We uh, we're going to close now in a prayer, and the worship team is going to lead us in a song. We're going to open up the altars for prayer. Kelly's going to join me up front. Gilbert Andrews is going to join me up front. We're going to give you the opportunity to pray. You know, maybe, maybe something I said, God nudged you and said, you need to do that. Or maybe God's been dealing with you with something I never said today. God's been dealing with you lately, and you need to take care of it. Whatever it is, the altar's a time to do that. We're going to give... God a chance to work. Then after the altar time, that's usually only the length of a song, we will close and dismiss in a prayer. Amen? Pray with me. Father, thank you for your good word. Lord, would you help all of us to examine our hearts, to examine our holy place. Lord, is there some rubbish? Is there some garbage that we've been allowing to accumulate in the corners, maybe? That needs to be taken out? needs to be taken to the Kidron and disposed of. Lord, would you help us to do that? Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, and even in spite of the words that I've said, they've realized that they need you. They need this God I've been talking about. But would you very gently and lovingly touch their heart to respond to you? Lord, as we saw many mocked and jeered at the invitation that Hezekiah gave them to return to you, but some responded. Lord, for those who want to respond, would you meet them in a very real and powerful way today? Father, would you help all of us to apply the great truths of your word to our lives? And as always, Lord, we'll be quick and very careful to give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name.